makes me feel like I need to get pasta. <laughs> oh yeah, the Italian name. <laughs> yeah, I'm like oh, solidly committed to pasta today. Oh nice. We'll do it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I love have some it. for dinner. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I love. I just love names and words and I just, it mm. all sounds like music to me. So mm. love yeah. people that yeah. don't have like just standard American music. Yeah. They're I amazing. love your name too. Was that, was that what you were born with? Stormy or did you change it? Yeah. Stormy is my, my given name. It's actually Stormy wow. Christine Ann. Isn't that cool? It's all the Catholic name. Ah. day I'm like can we get a couple more saints in here <laughs> I awesome I need their help yes brilliant yeah. all right you guys well welcome to today's eat and greet where I'm so excited we have our first sidereal astrologer over so we're gonna all seriously be staring at you the whole time because that's just not what we normally practice here but what a treat so Athen Chimenti is here and is going to be our tour guide around true sidereal astrology. So thank you so much for coming over, Athen. Thank you so much, Stormy. It's great to be here. Thank yeah, you. And you're a fellow YouTuber. So you, you yep. YouTube. Yep. We're on the same page there for sure. Yep. Yes. Nice so to have the community, get out those videos. Yeah, yeah. So people can literally just leave here and jump over to your channel and kind of sure. get into this if this is where they resonate. Yep. Yeah, some weekly forecasts over there for those of you into weekly videos. Yeah. Oh, man. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, before we jump in, guys, starting this week, now you can watch these videos ad-free on Patreon. I've done it. I took your suggestions, so you can also see this stuff over on Patreon ad-free. Everything will be in the description box down below so that you can find out how to do that. And then we'll also just stay right here on YouTube as well. So, man, I don't even know where to start besides feeling like I just want to be like, go tell me everything you know right now. <laughs> Yeah. Which is, is not the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could, yeah. But I mean, I guess uh, fundamental with, with sidereal and how it's different from tropical, maybe. Yes. Yes. Let's start there because it's interesting. You are in the sidereal view of the sky. You're in a bit of different timing right mm -hmm. now than, than we are. So do you want to mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so first of all, for those of you, so, so a lot of you probably know about sidereal because it is used with Vedic astrology um, and those, um, you know, more Western mainstream forms of sidereal. Um, just a little bit of background. So with the type of system I use, we're using the actual size of the constellations. So in mainstream sidereal, even then, everything's at even 30 degrees for each of the signs with the mainstream. But if you do look up at the sky, you'll actually see the constellations are different sizes. Sure. So like Virgo is very large, Libra is very small, for example. So it does change the signs by quite a bit, especially from obviously tropical, uh, but even from the mainstream sidereal types of astrology as well. So the whole idea here is to simply use the actual, like the visible locations of the planets as if you were to go outside, look up at the sky and see exactly what constellation the planets are in. So I call it true sidereal, but other names for it is astronomical uh, astrology would be another name. So essentially referencing the actual visible sky. Yeah. And so one of the things when we're practicing just in the Western tropical view, we're really following the seasons more mm -hmm. 
And when you move to the sidereal view, you're pulling in the actual space of the constellation. So if you didn't know that before, that's a bit of the difference of what's happening as we're just observing the sky. And then you take that sidereal view a little bit further and say, well, actually, Virgo season may be longer or the Virgo timing may be longer than, than Libra. Is that, am I saying that exactly. correctly? <laughs> exactly. And Virgo is a great example because it literally takes almost two months for the sun to transit through Virgo. So what is a Virgo season is literally a two month, almost two month process. Whereas we're used to everything being 30 days, one month process. Right. But then like Libra, a few weeks, you know, so it just changed quite drastically. Yeah. Wow. You know, I'm just having this like inner moment where I'm like, yeah, it usually takes me about two months to get my life together and get organized <laughs> and get, <laughs> you know, all of that. The and then from there, it really only takes a couple weeks for me to go, oh, wait a minute, something's out of balance. So that's interesting to be yeah. able to maybe experience life in, in a different timing path that maybe even somatically makes a little bit more sense for, for people in general. Yeah, that makes a great point. Like, I believe that some of these constellations are just generally a little bit easier to work with and some a little bit more challenging or just take more time, let's say, right? And so like Virgo and Pisces are very large. So those are really, you know, two good examples of how it gives us more time to acclimate to that energy and experience it and learn those lessons, you know, because like Virgo, you know, with all that, with the improvement, refinement, very grounded, you know, improvement oriented takes time, routines, habits. And then with Pisces, it's, you know, very much spiritual. It's like, we have to go into those ethers for a while, really find that peace, that spiritual and emotional well-being, And that takes time as well. So it seems to be that way that, you know, both in the context of the acclimation time, but even in terms of personalities. Um, so because certain constellations are larger, you're going to have more of one type of personality generally in the collective, right? So there's a lot of Virgos and Pisces, for example, and this could be that, that maybe that energy is needed more, you know, maybe more than a Libra, for example. Sure. So we definitely need mediators and Libra types, but maybe a lot more Pisceans and Virgos, you know, in that sense so too. In that constellation view that you're using, what is the smallest um, constellation that you work with? The, the smallest would be um, Cancer, sitting at um, 20, it's in the low 20 degrees. Yeah, but Libra is right there next to it as well in terms of size. And then if you factor in a Fucus, because you know with this also comes the 13th sign that people talk about. So if you do look up at the sky with the ecliptic, you will see a, a whole other constellation that's not used in mainstream. And so this is the serpent bearer of Fucus, which basically shares the same part of the sky as Scorpio. So you have a Fucus is standing on top of Scorpio, basically, wraps above it, and then Scorpio is down at the bottom. So it, where they intersect, intersect the ecliptic, you have Scorpio at the first part, and then a Fucus's leg at the end part. So if you divided that up as well, then actually these would be the smallest. Scorpio and a fucus would be the smallest. Well, can yeah. you take a minute to tell us about a fucus? Because I know some people mm. are like, oh my God, I just cannot possibly be another sign. I'm like, well, if you switch your style, you're going to be. So can you tell us about a little bit about that sign? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so it's very much like Scorpio, 
So we do know Scorpio being like unearthing the deeper dimensions of life. So that's kind of the step of the evolution. So again, Scorpio comes first. So it's bringing things to the surface with Scorpio. But then a fucus, you could say, takes it one step further, which is then working with the deeper dimensions. So it's the archetype of the healer and of the like transformer, like the, the person who takes the deeper realms and actually works with them, you know, in that sense. So a lot of like doctors, healers, psychologists, mm -hmm. spiritual practitioners have a very strong fucus usually in their chart. So that's why I got lumped in with Scorpio because it literally takes up the same part of the sky as Scorpio. So it makes sense to, to lump it in. And it does deal with, like I said, very similar energy. It's still about unearthing the deeper dimensions. But you could think of it as like the evolution of Scorpio, like the highest expression of Scorpio being the healer sort of archetype. Sure. And to add to that too, you know, at the very end of a fucus is the galactic center. So this is the very transformative part of the sky right so when planets pass through here it's always this metamorphosis process so when you finish a fucus after you've done all this inner work and healing and whatnot then you transform through the galactic center and then go into Sagittarius which is the free-spirited kind of like the butterfly coming out of the cocoon sort of energy yeah wow. so very symbolic part of the sky yeah so to step into the uh, fucus placement what is, is there a birth date change? Like who potentially lives over there? <laughs> I'm just letting you guys know right now. So if you have to go out and rechange all of your uh, housing decorations, cause you're a new sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so because we're using the actual, you know, size of the constellations, there's no like definitive line, right? So, like with tropical, it makes sense. Cause you could make a definitive lines. But so, so with these dates, I'm going to give, you do want to give at least a few days variance on either side, but uh, December 7th through December 18th is the Afucus energy. Okay. And Scorpio would be just before that starting. So Scorpio, November 23rd to December 6th, then Afucus, December 7th to December 18th, and then December 19th onward, we start the Sagittarian energy. Wow. I'm feeling a little mind blown because now I'm going back, you know, <laughs> to these people that I know where I'm like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Have some of those qualities. <laughs> Might be some fucuses there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But you notice how it's very small. So what is that like a little over 10 days, 11 days? Right. So not that many. Right. It's a very rare kind of constellation as well. Yeah. So before we jump into actually looking at some some charts and stuff like that and seeing the difference um I would love to hear a little bit about your astrology journey. How did you get in and then how did you come to what you're doing now yeah so you know talk to me before i don't know has it been 10 years or something i would have never touched astrology with like a 10-foot pole i was like totally like rational you know scientific everything had to be verified um but then i just started getting into more personal development stuff you know working on myself it started with just some basic things like meditation well eventually got to meditation and then the more time I just spent being and meditating, um, it just started to really expand my perception about life and about that there's so much more than what we can perceive, you know, with the senses. Mm -hmm. So from there, I just dived into all kinds of, you know, metaphysical stuff, tarot cards, numerology, all that stuff. But astrology really stuck out to me because it's still very tangible, like 
you can literally go and see it collectively for everybody, you know? So not that tarot or any other medium, you know, doesn't have its value, but for me in terms of like my, the way my mind works, like having to verify everything, astrology just totally stuck. So I started getting into astrology and then eventually, you know, found the difference between the tropical and true sidereal. And then of course with true sidereal being who I am, having to verify everything physically, I was like, this, yeah, this is definitely, um, it has to be, you know, especially put out there because up until recently, like this is pretty much completely hidden, like the whole idea of using the actual sky. And this is, you know, at the time made sense, like leading up to now before we had computers and stuff to be able to actually make these complex calculations because with tropical, you know, even mainstream sidereal, it's all in even 30 degrees. So it re really wasn't until we could actually use this, these softwares that we could, you know, start to come back to our roots, what I believe is our roots, like before the like tropical mainstream or just like man-made astrology, basically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we'd go outside and sit by the campfire and look up at the stars. And I think this is what we used for, you know, tens of thousands of years. And then we made the man-made systems and all that. So, yeah, I really like it in the sense that it's grounded in nature. You can go outside, visibly see it. You can grab your smartphone and like type in a date and, you know, use the app and you'll see yeah. uh, where everything actually is. So, yeah, so that's how I really liked it. And of course, astrology is super powerful. So once I started practicing it for me, I, you know, I was like, all right, well, something I'm good at, I can help other people with it. So I started my practice and yeah, one thing led to another, making YouTube videos, and yeah, here I am today. How'd you yeah. land on YouTube? Did you just wake up and you're like, today's the day? I was, I was a, I was a hardcore horoscope YouTube viewer, <laughs> and I was <laughs> like, this actually looks pretty nice. I think I could do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny, right? It just kind of comes from, oh, I think I can talk about some things. Let me do that. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? And then you start, and then you know, can pick up, and you know, yeah, gain some absolutely. traction. Well, and I'll make sure that your information's underneath the video in case anybody wants to see you and hang out with you and come learn what you got going on. For sure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So today we're going to take a look at a couple different charts from the true sidereal perspective and see how it swaps a lot of the things we've been talking about, one of which we're going to look at the chart of the United States, which I'm really excited <laughs> really excited to see this because it's such a prime time for us here in the states in in the first place so to see it maybe in in a different form and see what information we can glean from there let's do it cool all right so should we start with the sidereal or do you want to start are we going to compare the two well let's start i'll have you start yeah and then we'll go okay okay all right, so the thing I usually like to start with is the nodes. I find that the nodes are you know, extremely powerful for seeing like direction. So, so for an individual, it be their life path, but we could say it's a life path of you know, the U.S. So, you know, with this, you basically, so for the U.S., and by the way, so that everyone knows what chart we're referencing, it's uh, 4th of July, uh, 1776 at 1710 or 510 p.m. in Philadelphia, PA. So it's basically the Constitution uh, formation. So looking at the south node, um, so in this, so by the way, I use equal house, equal house system as well. So south node's in the second and in Capricorn, fairly close to Pluto. So 
the South Node represents our roots and where we're coming from and for an individual, their past lives and such. So for the U.S., it's where, where's the U.S. coming from? So with Capricorn, you know, the U.S. came out of like really strict monarchy, Capricorn kind of energy. It was all centered around finance, like taxation. So we're talking second, second house, like all centered around this whole like heavy restrictive energy around particularly the monetary side of things and the resource side of things for the country. So we're talking like pre, you know, establishment to the U.S., you know, with Britain and everything. So that's the roots of the U.S. coming from this like really Capricorn limiting kind of environment. Now, the North Node's in the eighth house, which is in Cancer. So, can so this is where the U.S. is headed or has been heading, you know, since. And Cancer being the establishment of home. So this is what the whole U.S. has been about, is establishing a new foundation, right? A new home, a new frontier kind of energy. But to do that, going into the eighth house, right? So this is where we get into like the hawk symbol, because, you know, like Scorpio used to be the hawk symbolism. Eighth house is the same energy. So this is where we get into that like power kind of energy of the U.S. So ever since the formation of the U.S., it's been really on this track of like gaining more and more power. And unfortunately, to very extreme cases, depending on your perspective of that, but really moving more into that. So it's moving away from more of self because it's coming from self-reliance, second house, you know, produce savings, you know, this kind of more grounded way of producing things into a more power uh, play. So like with the world monetary policy, for example, for example, using the U S as the global money standard also heavily, you know, getting working with debt, you know, the whole U S is heavily debt-based that's also eighth house. So a lot into that, you know, eighth house energy of um, the power and also in terms of utilizing other people's resources and, and um, you know, debt and things like that. So the, the, so what I would usually, you know, describe for a person is that, you know, it is about finding this balance. So for the U S it's going to be very important to find this balance between, you know, healthy self-reliance, which is a fundamental to the U S and healthy power and healthy, you know, ways of working with, let's say, debt and other people's resources and things, but not going to more than one extreme or the other. And also finding this balance between strictness, which is the Capricorn South Node, so control and like, you know, strong government power in that sense, but also still maintaining that sense of like privacy of cancer, like allowing for individual, you know, privacy and, you know, free enterprise and things like that. So that's the balance. If it goes to one extreme or the other, if it was an individual, that can unhinge things. And it does seem like it has gone really far into that eighth house, power dynamic, and also debt-based um, side, which, like I said, hopefully it kind of calls that back a little bit and finds a little bit more balance with this. So that's how I'd read the life path for it. Um, the U.S. actually is in a fucus rising. So the energy, yeah. So the energy of the U.S., yeah, is, you know, it is, it is supposed to like, the whole life path. Cause the, so for sidereal, for the rising sign, we look at this as what the person is becoming more of. And so for the country, it's like, you know, the U.S. is meant to become more of this kind of like healer, like redeemer, like help. Um, you know, it's still Scorpio energy, it's still eighth house energy. It's all about getting into the deeper dimensions 
but in such a way that really helps, you know, the world heal, other people heal, right? This would be the individual um, aspect of it. So this takes um, a lot of emphasis as well because the sun is in Gemini in the system, also in the eighth house. So this is where we get into a lot of the, the free enterprise and business and commerce and trade and all this kind of thing. That's really the vital life force, you could say, of the U.S. Again, operating through the eighth house of the, you know, deeper realms and uh, power dynamics and things of that nature. There's uh, a lot of emphasis in the seventh. So for a country, you know, in terms of building foreign relationships, Jupiter's here. U.S. has a lot of foreign relationships, agreements, you know, very global, big picture. Sure. Uh, oh, theme Catherine, there. Can we see, are you looking at your chart? Mm -hmm. Can we yeah. see your chart? Oh, would you like to see it? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It'll be fun. And then I'll switch and when I do mine, I'll put mine up too, just so we can see the difference. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, I'm like, okay, I just so... feel like I need to see the Alfucus glyph. <laughs> oh, okay. Awesome. So I don't normally use Zoom. How do you share? Oh, there it is. Share screen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Can you see it? Yes. So pretty. So let me, let me actually make it a little bit larger just so it's a little bit easier to see here. Ooh, all the colors. Okay. So yeah, so this is the eighth house with the north node, the sun, Mercury, south node. That's what we're talking about. And then that's the Afucus symbol there in terms of the rising sun. Yeah. And then, yeah, so the seventh house, just kind of summing it up because this would be all the personal planets. Yeah, just making sure there's good foreign relations and good agreements and things go well there. Uh, but I think the north and south node is the most important thing, the rising sign. The moon, again, we come to the kind of business, commerce, and trade. The moon in Aquarius, so this is, of course, the revolutionary energy and being a kind of innovator for the world, you know, and always um, innovating and inducing change. You know, that's very fundamental. So if you wanted to sum it up in terms of the personality for the U.S., it's like a Gemini Aquarius. And to me, that sums up the U.S. perfectly because you have all this commerce and trade with Gemini, and then you have all of this... Um, you know, revolutionary individualism, um, you know, uh, always uh, innovating visionary kind of energy of Aquarius. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. And then, so it's so fascinating to see how your wheel looks and how it works in and that everything's not the same size. <laughs> mm. Mm. Nice. All right, should we see it from the tropical view, which I think is also interesting to point out. I don't know if you found this, but I have found that regardless of what kind of chart I'm looking at, the truth seems to simply present itself, regardless of which form I put that thing in. I don't, has that been your experience at all? Yeah, definitely different perspectives, and you can kind of look at the same thing from different angles and different perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. Super interesting. Okay. All right. I'll switch. I'll share. And let's see what it looks like from the view over here, which is, let's make this bigger. <clears throat> There's a lot that stays the same. There's still a really like pretty, pretty heavy life path emphasis here in the eighth house, but in the 
um, Western tropical view, what we have is we've got that node, the North node in Leo and that South node down in Aquarius, which I think is um, interesting as well, because in that evolutionary process of coming forward and really the, the own self-identity, its own self-expression of that Leo energy, its own regal voice and heart and moving away from the, that Aquarian vibe, you know, it has to be for everybody. People have to approve what I'm doing and, and where I'm going. And it's an interesting, to see it from this view, I think it's interesting to consider democracy in that South Node where it's like, well, the individual and the voice of the people. And we're really trying to move towards, well, what is our one unifying, independent, self-expressive voice that maybe doesn't look like all of the different factions and voice and has everybody's approval, but it is a common landing place of what we can do and be and express. I think that's really interesting coming through the lens of the eighth house as well, where we do have all of this joint connection. Um, but I think there's a lot of fear that lives in that North Node as well of being independent or interdependent in the United States. So we, we have that story there as well. I also look at, um, you know, obviously the sun's over in cancer, so of the people. So we've got this kind of, it feels to me like this duality a little bit in this chart that can be very um, for the people, of the people, by the people, but also like not, <laughs> which I think we've gotten to historically see play out. Now, bigger than that for me, though, I consider this rising energy over here in the story as well, as well as the midheaven, and really this balance and this conversation at the global level of needing to know or needing to have the approval of other countries, of other bodies um, in everything that's happening over here and really work in that, that north node to move towards, well, this is our thing. This is how we sustain ourselves, independent of all of the debt that's being created, independent of the other voices of other countries. Like, what do our people need to be safe, sane, healthy, okay, and have home? But we really are working in that practice, I think, at an evolutionary level to do it and find it ourselves. If we look at Chiron down at the bottom of the chart as well in Aries, Chiron is, is the hole in the soul, man, and it's at the, the bottom of the chart. United States has been searching for our identity for quite some time, and that comes with a lot of struggle. If we've ever watched teenagers, <laughs> finding their identity is, is quite the walk, and we're a young country in the United States. We are very young, so these struggles and the loopholes to try and find that very Leo heart and voice of our life path, I don't think is surprising at all, which to me you know, living here as well and watching some of these things that are going on, I think, well, yes, we have had to struggle through the relationships of our people and the relationships of our, our foreign connections to even come close to finding that identity and that, that own voice. We have to figure out who and what we are and what we're about, what we think, how we operate. So here we are, and we're not, we're not in the United States um, or in the Western tropical, we're not a fucus. So no cool sign over there for that. <laughs> but, it, but if it was, it would be, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. So that's interesting. So when you look at, and this is kind of an off the cuff question, but when you look at 
the United States and what's coming up um, for us with the election and the kind of the pathway forward in the next handful of months, does that, do you have a different assessment of the way you think things will play out? Not necessarily who's going to be president, but maybe what the chart is calling for? Um, I do believe in a lot of free will. So I believe that, you know, a lot of it will be how we choose to, you know, how we choose to work with the nodes, I guess, collectively as a country. Um, but looking at like the transits, for example, so there's a lot going on in the second house of finance right now. So that's where the Saturn, Jupiter and Pluto conjunction are. Sure. So obviously, you know, it's been happening since January, February. So this is, you know, definitely a huge theme in terms of the South node for the U.S. For, for both of our charts being in the second house. So probably a lot and Jupiter's here. So it's a lot of the inflation and money printing and stuff like that. We're seeing uh, expanding it, but with Saturn here and Pluto here, it's like going to be really important to, to really get this area, you know, structured and under wraps, just like when Saturn transits our own second time to kind of, you know, get the finances and stuff in order. So Jupiter will be here for, uh, pretty much the rest of this year until about um, late February next year. And then Saturn will be finishing there through all of next year as well. So a lot of the expansion probably between now and February, but then still needing that uh, more disciplined and hard work um, and grounded approach, hopefully to the whole resource thing. And that's going to help with the North, right? Because it's, because it's transiting the South node, it's going to help to do that in order to balance out any extremes that have been happening with the North node. All right, so to get back to some sort of more stable situation with yeah. the finances or resources collectively. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. the, yeah, that's, that's the big thing. Yeah. And then if you look at the progress chart for the U.S., it's actually completing the 29-year lunar cycle, yeah. the progress lunar cycle. Um, so the actual new moon, the new, because 29-year cycle, so the new moon will be in roughly about four years from now. So between now and the next four years, it does seem like it's more of a completion and hopefully finalizing a lot of Aquarius kind of energy. So in this system, the progressed sun's been in Aquarius and that's what this whole previous uh, 30 years was fundamentally focused on. But hope, you know, hopefully we'll complete some things now, wrap some things up. You know, Usually the ending phase of the progress cycle can be a little bit challenging, quite challenging because we're having to kind of... Um, you know, let go of some things that are no longer serving us so that we can start the new beginnings. And so hopefully we do that and we could notice a fresh new start uh, with a lot of things once we have that new moon. And it'll be about three and a half years. And that's going to take us into a new moon in Pisces for the U.S. in the progressed chart, uh, which will be hopefully about doing things that are more spiritually meaningful and more soul satisfying. And idealistic but hopefully not too idealistic you know so some grounded piscean kind of energy yeah. um and in the fourth house maybe about establishing some good home things more at home you know maybe helping those you know within our country and focusing more like you were saying with those um you know within our own uh you know within our country so yeah, yeah so that's playing out and um yeah uranus is transiting the fifth so i would say Probably still good to, you know, media, new and different things. Still good to be experimenting with, trying new things there with that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the most important stuff is uh, it's the financial with the Saturn, Jupiter, Pluto, and the completion of things so we can start a new cycle in about three and a half years. 
Yeah. And it's from, you know, from this perspective over here, it's interesting because I really like to focus a lot on lunar phases as well. And it's like, you know, when I look at it over here, the United States, just in general, we, if we use the Sibley chart anyways, um, was born during a, a full moon phase. So this pull of the identity has, again, it like shows up in this theme and this pattern of who are we, what, you know, what are we in this pull between the past and the present, the mother, the father, these, this, just these two pulling and opposing energies and innately full moons bring a sense of instability, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like the, the, the total function, I think, of a full moon in general is to shed enough light so that we can recognize the use and purpose of all of the parts. But that takes a minute to get there. There's an awareness that needs some time, I think, to, to develop. And typically, you know, at least in my experience, that the instability comes from misunderstanding how to integrate both sides of an opposition, Right. Like both sides of the opposition are correct, but, but they're pulling in different directions. So how do we find that common goal in the middle? So just in an innate, we came in under this phase, the United States has been searching for that identity for a long time. And then in that progressed energy, um, and like you said, that the progressed phase will be moving on here shortly anyways, but that last quarter phase, it is genuinely what you said, like really pulling away from, you know, what has, has been. And, and I think, you know, when I see it in people, what happens is, is that they're finding it just really hard to be with what has been, you know, because mm -hmm. it's like, and I do think that the last quarter phase here is not, it's not like you should optionally give up things that are not working. It's like you're required now to put some distance between what has been and give yourself permission to kind of take a little bit of an observant back seat and look and just look for a minute. We've been spending the last, I think, really, I would think five, even though I know they change about every three and a half, but about five years, really looking around, watching what's not working. And as things have come to the surface in many different ways, good, bad, and indifferent, you know, we've had a chance to just kind of say, oh, we need to pull. That doesn't, that doesn't fit this anymore. So, you know, we're definitely in that phase of getting ready to to pull from the past, but there's still a bit, a bit more work to be done for sure. There's always more work to be done, right? Always. Yep. <laughs> Personally and collectively. Personally and collectively for sure. So it's interesting to consider the phase though, even as we're talking about these things, because that next phase in the, in the balsamic um, phase that we're going to go through, then we can make the actual adjustments from one cycle to another. And I think that started to happen because energy is gradual, but it does become that bridge between past and future. And we finish it. Like you said, we're going to finish that. And then something else can, can start to come in. Mm -hmm. But the most magical part I think of that is that we don't know what's coming in, right? Mm -hmm. In the new moon phase, it's like, it's just pure magic over here. We're intuiting, we're kind of throwing some things at the wall, but I don't even think that we fully know enough yet today to see what we could create yet. Like the, the yeah. magic hasn't fully crept in. There's just ideas of what's not working. Right. That's how the balsamic phase is always. And, and like when clients come to me and ask me, you know, questions, I'm like, well, you know, it is the ending phase. 
we can give you some tidbits as what the new beginning will be about. But honestly, when you're in the ending phase, I mean, it's like you're at the end of the cycle. It's Pisces energy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's winter time. So that's <laughs> what's important right now, turning inward and reflecting and reflecting. It's good to reflect on the previous cycle, like you're saying, you know, what's worked, what hasn't worked and things like that. But in terms of what the new beginnings are, yeah, it's like the darkest before the dawn is that balsamic phase. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we go through it, really, just as a country, you know, the United States sat at my table, I would have to say, you know, just breathe. You you have to incubate everything yeah. that has come up so that it has, you have literally like an emotional, visceral, spiritual response enough to it to walk forward and do what's next. But this is a huge prep time for yeah. the United States. And, and it is a huge time of closure, which does not happen from 2020 to 2021. That's not it. You right. know, really looking in that space of time of like, there's, it's already been in motion, but you know, if we want to walk from 2020 all the way until 2024, 25, this is where we step into the heat of magic of really yeah. what's next. I think so. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it'll be a nice subtle process too. Like it's not a lot once like yeah. you're saying too, because like the, the progressed new moon, it's 29 year cycle. So it even takes time for those new beginnings to shape up. So it's really gradual. And it, like you're saying, I think right now, the most important thing between now and then is to take that time out, go inward. It's a spiritual phase of the cycle, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really neat. Okay, well, should we look at, um, we're doing so well on time, yay. Should we look at a couple um, personal charts and see how those look different? Sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. I'll let you start because I need to, <laughs> I'm going to pull them up on the big one. I have two screens going. There's so much Gemini energy over here <laughs> these days. <laughs> I have all the gadgets. Yeah. Jack of all trades. It's good there though. It is. Okay, good. You want to, there we go. Screen share with us and we'll look at. Oh, yeah. Who do you have for, which do you have September or July for number one? Okay, hold on one second, screen share. Okay, so the first one I have is the September one. Okay, I'll get that one ready. All right, so just talk about it in terms of like an analysis of it. Yeah, let's see, let's see what's going on. What's the story? Okay, well, I guess the first thing here, so with the notes, it's swapped actually from the US's chart in a sense. So. This person is coming from a past life of um, putting a lot of hard work with the Capricorn towards um, probably healing stuff. They may have been a healer in a past life, dealt with the hidden realms, maybe a cult, things of this nature. But they put a lot of hard work, self-limitation into that. Um, with the moon close to the south node, you know, maybe some matters relating to where it was tied to home and family and personal life was probably very important. But for the individual, this is usually where it feels like things are missing or lacking. Like we need more hard work. We need maybe things feel like they're missing with, with home or family. And we need more depth, more truth, more kind of healing energy. And although this stuff's important for the individual, and I always say to immerse yourself with the South Node stuff, immerse into the deeper, immerse into the hard work, immerse into the home life and private life, but in such a way that they make peace with it because the south nodes where the energy is being drawn out. So it's important to have this kind of more accepting nature, accept how things are with the home, with the deeper life, and yet immerse you know, themselves into it to 
you know, do what's important to them on a soul level, but in such a way they're not attached and they're kind of mindful of any um, yearnings and concerns about the area. Then where they can grow is definitely into the self-reliance um, and resource sector. So this wasn't as emphasized in the past life. They're probably, you know, more concerned with deeper values, didn't have to be so self-reliant, but now life's been pushing them into good material security, resourcefulness, connect to nature, beauty, aesthetics. And with uh, Venus here, their relationships uh, as well in that context and do what they enjoy and love regarding, you know, beauty, aesthetics, design, nature, really get into that sensual, resourceful second house energy, especially because the rising sign here is Taurus. So with Sidereal, this is who they're destined to become more of. And so this person is destined to become more of this resourceful, self-reliant person, which they probably have been becoming already as time goes on, but good to just focus and develop that. And then, like I said, just to essentially find this balance between relying on others and relying on self, between the deeper values and the material values um, and hard work, but also doing what we love and enjoy, which is that Leo energy. So in terms of personality, so they're a Virgo here in the system, probably Virgo in yours, I believe as well. But um, so in this case, Virgo with uh, Sun conjunct Saturn, fairly close to Jupiter. So this is someone who likely views life through the lens of what can be improved and fixed especially around the personal life and home life. And that's probably where they do put in a lot of that hard work and responsibility. So for this individual, recognizing that this is their source of energy and life force to be focused on their home life and private life or family, if it manifests like that, and where they can put in that healthy limitation and hard work to build the area through time and through refining things. But this person's strength is definitely able to put in that time and energy into things, um, improve things, find solutions, fix things, facilitate things, especially if they're more important on an emotional and personal level, which is that uh, fourth house. And then Mercury, Pluto here as well. Same thing with Mercury, ability to actually understand and work with these more detail-oriented things in life, but a very deep mind for this person. So if they can channel that into deep writing, journaling, diving inward with Pluto into the unconscious, into their feelings with the fourth house, to really personally grow and personally develop, um, that could be a really good way of working with that. But nonetheless, a very powerful mind, very powerful communications that could be channeled very constructively uh, with that intention. And uh, so moon, uh, right between Capricorn and Aquarius. So with this, I like to look at the blend between um, the two, because like I said, it's like there's no line between the constellations, so it's a blend. But uh, yeah, coming from that more responsible, reserved, emotional state from that past life, but moving into a little bit more of the free-spirited energies of Aquarius, like more of a inducing change, more visionary, more challenging the status quo. This is what's going to help the person feel good, especially in the context of um, their beliefs. Like if they're into philosophy or spirituality or astrology, these more abstract things, you know, it's all about these new and innovative ideas and perspectives that helps the person feel good. So when they're at home, maybe diving into that, you know, astrology or spirituality, philosophy, that's all unique and different. That's going to help them feel good and be in good health. And maybe a bit of adventurousness. Usually the moon's a little more introverted in that sense, but maybe if they're home can have a bit of that adventurous life that could be very important emotionally. 
because Neptune's so close to the descendant, I'll talk about that as well. So just making sure that everything's nice and grounded with relationships, make sure there's no like ideals or escapes or rose colored glasses with relationships, recognizing that relationships can be a form of deep spiritual connection, but uh, in such a way that we just become more present with it and, you know, do what's more important on a soul level with relationships and be as clear as possible. And at the same time, just recognize that everything happens in divine timing with relationships, that soul yearning and soul fulfillment with especially that fucus there, because that's the galactic center. So there's some energy that feels like it's yearning maybe for that. So just do our best to find non-attachment and peace with it and see how everything does happen in divine timing with the relationship life. Uh, the last thing I'll say here is Mars conjunct Uranus and Libra, um, Mars in the fifth. So when this person takes action, I think it's great to always be, um, you know, doing it in that revolutionary way, a little rebellious, challenging the status quo, but it's all about fairness and what's right. This person with Libra, this person probably is not afraid to express themselves with Mars in the fifth and in such a way that's really about what's right and fair and just. So yeah, that's how I'd look at it quickly with the life path and some of the personality characteristics. Chiron, same thing as the US, right? Chiron and Aries, so healing any sense of independence mm -hmm. and getting involved with groups and contribution could be very healing and therapeutic for this person as well. Brilliant. Well, since we have like just a little bit of time left, do you wanna just go to the other one? Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's so fascinating. It's so funny. And everybody's like, no, talk about a few kiss. <laughs> yeah. mean, right. It's so interesting to see this whole other energy pop up in a, in a mm -hmm. way we haven't really been seeing it. So fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so with this one life path. So now that I've kind of prefaced what the North node and South nodes about. So finding the balance between this person's self-expression love because their past life was probably very much emphasizing like the things they love with like adventurousness, philosophy, spirituality, but it was all about their passion and what they love. So now it's how can they channel that into something greater than themselves? So for this person to challenge themselves with getting involved with maybe online things, group things, collaborative things, that's going to give them energy and vitality. And because the sun's here, it's all about recognizing that that is actually where the passion is found, right? So usually if you ask someone who's found their passion, so to speak, it's someone who's found something that's greater than themselves, something to contribute to, something to collaborate with, some vision of some kind. I think that's very much what this person is about discovering. So just finding that balance though, between what they love and expressing themselves, but seeing how that can be implemented into what the world needs, what their community needs, contributing, all of that. And all in the Gemini way, just be willing to learn, communicate. This person's probably very much views life through the lens of gaining information and knowledge. And so sharing and exchanging with others within that group setting or online setting, um, I think is great. Now, moon in Aquarius as well. Lots of uh, moon in Aquarius is here today. The day today. for that, huh? <laughs> so moon in Aquarius in the seventh. Uh, so this person needs to have that freedom, right? Sense of individuality, unique self-expression. It's more private. Moon can also be a lot of insecurities about it. But this person recognizing that they do need to have that uh, willingness to be their unique self and authentic self, even if it's more private, comes through more at home, especially in relationships with the moon and seventh, because this person does need those one-on-one -on -one connections and relationships to really feel good in their life. So when things are fair and just and mutual in their relationship life, 
um, you know, they feel good and they'll be in good health and good well-being. But especially if they can be connecting in different ways or with different, you know, unique individuals, Aquarius types, you know, that could be really good with the moon in Aquarius. Mm -hmm. Then this person's rising is Leo. So again, energy coming back into the 11th. So lots of energy into the 11th for this person. So I'm really stressing that contributing stuff because the chart rulers there with the sun. But yeah, self-expression through the um, contribution collaborative things. Uh, Saturn, Mars, Pluto in the second and Virgo. So this person here, I think it's very important for them to be motivated towards connecting to their more like material values. So, so a lot of times, you know, it doesn't have to be so materialistic. It doesn't mean money or finances, although this could be a great area for this person to put in a lot of drive and discipline and hard work and empowerment into, but um, really just abundance, like connecting to nature, beauty, aesthetics, comforts in their environment, maybe having a good meal, just having that abundance around them can be, um, you know, super good. They might have to work really hard towards it. They might have to face some fears and maybe inhibitions about their ability to cultivate abundance with Pluto here. But they, the more they move into that and the more they challenge themselves to cultivate their resources and their self-reliance, uh, it's going to be extremely empowering and could be a lot built here, actually. Um, lots of success in the resource area certainly has a potential with that placement. But non-attachment as well. Pluto and Mars, we'll make sure we're not too attached because Pluto will allow the energy to flow if we're not attached to it. You know, it's like when we're more non-attached to something, it tends to flow more. So it's that kind of a thing there. Mm. Um, yeah, pretty straightforward. Venus up in the uh, 10th in... Taurus, so they do value taking things slowly and steadily, individuals that are also self-reliant and resourceful, but a lot of that coming through in their work life. So I think forming work relationships, career relationships, you know, be a great way of uh, connecting there and incorporating some of, again, that kind of more natural design aesthetics into their work and into their careers, really a double emphasis with Taurus and Venus up there mm. in the 10th. Yeah, yeah, so I can leave it at that for that one. Mm -hmm. Well, I just have a question that I think I'm just thinking through with the a fugus sign. I'm still there, um, mm -hmm. especially down there looking like it's fourth house space. And then the glass galactic centers just off is coming up into the fifth. Um, I just have a sense with this chart. It's um, like a deep connection to past or healing the past or traumas of the past. Is that, is that mm -hmm. an interpretation that comes with that sign? Because it's next to the south node, you mean, with the fucus? Because the fucus will be somewhere. But yeah, wherever it's at, it's like, it's an energy where life has a way of drawing it out. Because, you know, it's the center of the galaxy. And like, it's drawing in all this light and all this energy. So it's the area where we can feel like, especially when it's Neptune like this, it can feel like it's just like being released and drawn out. Mm -hmm. So... What happens though, is when all that light gets concentrated into the center of the galaxy, every very rarely, you know, so rarely, it, all that energy does get released. So it is that transformative energy. It's still Scorpio and a fucus. I mean, it's like Scorpio and Pluto kind of energy, right? So it's the transformation. So the more they're not attached with Neptune, more surrendering, more releasing, allowing, in this case, the fifth house, the self-expression, especially with the South Node. Yeah, it's a really good point because there's just so much drawing out there from the fifth the more they release the self-expression and are not attached to it the more empowering it's going to be for them 
to express themselves, but they really have to allow the death of it with the galactic center to allow for that. And because when we have nothing to lose, right? So when we have nothing to lose, no, no more, if there's no identity, no attachment to what we're creating, what we're expressing, who we are with the fifth house, then they're free to, uh, to express themselves and be who they are and have fun, you know? Brilliant. So we have one question before we let you go and people would like to know about what you think of that Chiron there with the midheaven near the midheaven. Mm, that's another good point. Yeah. So for this person, you know, doing things publicly and achievements, there might be inhibitions about it. There might be a wound about it, but I think it's really good to move into that because this person is destined to help others heal in a more public setting, but it'll only be because they've faced their own wound about it. Because Chiron is where we feel wounded, but the more we do it, the more we feel healed, then we can help others heal, right? So the wounded healer who became a healer. So get out there, do things publicly, um, achieve, you know, do those things in the face of any wounds. You'll find that very healing, therapeutic, and that everything's okay afterwards, even though the wounds are there. And everyone who, you know, perceives you and listens to you in that public setting or through your career can be very healed just by your doing it alone. But if there are things you want to specifically do involving healing in a public setting, spiritual, physical, whatever kind of healing, you, you might be seen that way in the, in the public with your career. Ah, absolutely beautiful. Thank you. This is yeah. so fascinating to see this um through this lens and the person's here so that was also interesting oh awesome see, yeah what the um what the true is like truly being seen she said is her biggest fear like right there yeah. so really yeah. in that so now you got some good you got like some good tips to move forward to see what how to work that yeah. path which is really kind of kind of neat so man it's been an hour of true sidereal astrology yeah. and I'm like <laughs> pumped to come visit your channel now because I'm like, well, yeah. must know more, you know? Yeah, that was fun. Yeah. It, it is neat too when like two, two people get together and we're looking at a chart and kind of the energy changes a little bit. It really does, actually. That wouldn't be such a bad idea, actually, doing dual charts for, for somebody. Actually, I kind of enjoy the collaboration, looking at a reading instead of doing it uh, solo all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So now you can come back and we'll <laughs> look at all these other charts and everybody leaves energized and it'll be just a beautiful, yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, man, thank you so much out there yeah. for coming over and truly, if you ever want to collaborate, you ever want to come back to the cyber house, we would just love having you. Oh, sure. thank you. Yeah. I'd love to be back. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. And thank okay. you too, Stormy. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you guys. Well, we're going to wrap up today's eat and greet. And I hope that you have heard something, seen something today that made you think, made you question, made you go, yeah, I'm so glad I showed up. And remember, you can definitely view all of the um, eat and greets, at least from last week to moving forward on Patreon ad free, if that's something you're looking to do. There's also a tip jar in the description box down below, or you can just watch them right here on YouTube as they are as well. So I look forward to seeing you guys next week where we will have Glenn Mitchell will be coming over. Jessica Lanyadu will be here next week as well. We'll talk about relationship stuff. So have a good rest of the day, everybody, and we'll see you next time.